New York Artists Collective. Hello and welcome to the New York Artists Collective podcast. This next one's about. This is the podcast where we interview an artist to discuss the creative songwriting process behind one of their songs. I'm your host, Stephanie Manns, singer-songwriter and one of the New York Artists Collective producers. And today's guest is Australian-born but now Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter Jess McAvoy. She's here to talk about her latest single, Do What You Want. Jess McAvoy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is so nice to connect with you after so many moons on the insta the insta webgram thing right transporting ourselves in through through the ether into each other's lives oh i really want to make some sort of star trek reference but it's not the time not the time. oh what a shame so you are from the land down under correct perth is it yeah i grew up in perth uh, in western australia and i lived in melbourne for quite some time but i also lived in holland uh, for a portion of my early teen years so when people ask me where I'm from it um, I feel like it's a much more convoluted answer than just Australia mm. I have, I have yeah. similar similar story myself but your your accent isn't as strong as it could be I suppose uh no I I, I noticed that when I watch uh, any news excerpts from Australia how um, mild my dialect has become it's easier for Americans to understand us that way I think that's the thing I think I worked in hospitality for too long when I got here and I learnt that I don't like to repeat myself. So we're here to talk about your song, Do What You Want. So this is your latest single. Yeah, it's the most recent one uh, that came out in January. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's got a lovely kind of blues groove to it, which I really like. So tell me about the song, how you wrote it. Um, I love the, the lyric video, I thought it was really cool. And then Thanks. you did a different video um, that was like filmed in the subway. Yeah. And I really yeah. like the guy that was dancing with you. Yes, he's, you know, you can find him, uh, you can actually find him in the, uh, in that subway station. I think it was uh, 8th, um, it was like the ACE kind of mm -hmm. that area up there. Um, he's there quite frequently and we just randomly bumped into him on that day. Um, so that was very fortunate. Mm -hmm. But uh, the song itself, it's it took a long time for it to, to reach its, um, its final uh, composition. It started off as a, a song that I wrote pretty much as a joke as a lot of the kind of more lighthearted ones that I write are. And it was it was in reference to a situation I was in with a, this person, this very sweet person that in hindsight I didn't treat very well. But uh, I, had, um, I was in a relationship at the time and uh, that was put on pause for various reasons. And during that period of time uh, in which it was on pause, I was off gallivanting around and had met someone and couldn't give them my heart, but I very much wanted to have fun with them. And they, uh, their friends were kind of advising them not to because of my reputation or whatever. I don't even know. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, I was just trying to be very matter of fact of like, Hey, life is short. If you want to enjoy yourself, you should enjoy yourself. And, you know, I, d I don't tend to tell lies, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people's feelings aren't um, jeopardized in the process but uh, that so that's kind of how the song started and um, I didn't really intend it to do anything uh, but it seemed to catch on with everyone that heard it and so I, I kept it and then I altered it slightly over the years and eventually uh, turned into what it is now so it's um, it's a, and it's still a crowd favorite it's a very easy one to sing along with which is yeah. really special and um, it's and it's a nice way to kind of like break up my sets in my live shows uh, with something a little bit more low-key, a little bit more swaggery, you know? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. It's interesting that you sort of took that stance lyrically, sort of owning up to being 
more of a sort of not not necessarily the nice guy oh yeah I was a shit I was a shit for a long time I you know I think um I think it's really important to and I've always been like this I think it's really important to be open and and I take this stance very much as having been a a a musician and a live performer for 25 years now where I think it's Personally, I've always found that it's my responsibility as a live performer to be honest about my human experience. And that also includes my failures and it includes the things that I'm not proud of because none of us are proud of every single thing that we do. And I think that if you have the opportunity to have the spotlight and to be a voice for a demographic, that it is your responsibility to speak honestly and openly about your life so that people understand that they're also not meant to be perfect, you know? We don't live in the days of white picket fences and whatever anymore. No, we don't. And I think that there's so much pressure to to do things right and I just never have, you know. I've gotten better and better at doing things in ways that don't entirely destroy my life but I hope I'm never perfect and I, and I hope that people can glean something from that for their own mm-hmm. benefit. And so when you recorded it, when, what was the process like? Uh, it was a it was a shit fight. It took ages. Um, we I've I think we recorded it. I recorded it with various bands in different studios, probably seven different times before we ended up with the um, the version that exists now. Wow! You know, I moved to New York five years ago, and in getting set up, it takes about two years to to adjust to being in a new country. I think just in the very basic parts of it, and. Uh, the culture shock and everything like that. And I think just the the amount of time that it took me to to get the right community around me that could uh, not only understand my vision but um, could execute it in ways that I felt comfortable with. And, I mean, that song and, and other songs that I've released online are, are not necessarily perfect still, but I think that that one was the closest I could get before I stopped wanting to ever do anything with that song ever again. <laughs> yeah. I think there's there's certain times that you know in terms of the creative process that we have to just kind of let it go let it go out there into ether and 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 let that go I guess. Yeah, for sure. And I mean my my justification by the time I let it go it's like well I actually never have to listen to this again. <laughs> I I don't. I mean if somebody if other people are enjoying it and and they're satisfied with what I've created then my job's done. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to still perform it live and, and have it be different every single time if I want it to. So yeah. um, I think that as, at a certain point you've got to stop being precious because otherwise you never put anything out. Right. Having said that, my my standards are definitely um, a place that I'd like to spend a bit more time reaching and I think that that's getting easier and easier as I've since developed my community and, and gathered people around me that truly do get it now. Well, I'll tell you what, how about we take a listen to the song? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Jess McAvoy and Do What You Want. I'll catch your dreams and show them to you. I know there are things that I just can't do right now. But so much I can. And from where I stand, I have those dreams too. When I'm holding your
some of your friends They just don't understand They waste such precious time Trying to make you feel bad They're jealous as hell Cause I'll make you feel good Not you spend time in your day So just do what you want. I love it. I love the vibe. Um, I want to be at a gig and sing along with it. Yes, everybody come and sing along. <laughs> I even, sometimes I even hand out the words. I made some cards. Did you? So that, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, like one of the things that's so amazing about live gigs and I think that not a lot of artists take advantage of it um, is that you, you, <laughs> the whole reason why the, the gig feels like a gig is because of everyone in the room. And I think that sometimes people forget that they're not watching a TV or something when you're up there. Right. So I try to, I try to make it as interactive as possible. And I try to help people feel comfortable doing that because not everyone wants to join in. They don't want to be the idiot. That's, that's the only one that's singing. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you give them the lyrics and you pester them until they sing, then everybody has a good time. <laughs> <laughs> You must do it my way. <laughs> do you find that it's it's it works in uh, different locations better than others? You know, I, I like audiences are different in different places. They are, but you know what? I'm very pushy, and, it, and <laughs> you're it, Australian. And it actually, I think that's a given. I'm Australian. Yeah, it actually doesn't hurt to have this dialect. It really doesn't. People are a lot more willing to do things for me. Yeah, <laughs> and I will milk it till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> I will. And, you know, and funny thing, when I went back to Australia the first time, I realized um, that I don't, I'm not special. 
on on like the first moment that someone meets me they don't automatically know that I'm from the other side of the planet right so the the way that they engage with me is entirely different yep than the way that they do here and so therefore it's like why would I ever go home I hear you right so um you were obviously doing quite well in Australia and then what prompted your move to New York uh it's not a clean story it kind of uh there were a couple things. So me, it was it, it was more about me leaving Australia than it was about me coming to New York initially. I moved to to, um, to Canada for three years um, because the visa situation was much easier, and also because I had absolutely no interest in pursuing music in Canada. By the time I was ready to leave, I'd kind of driven my career very um, strongly into the ground through various methods, and and a bit a big part of it was um, because I was an uh, an alcoholic. So at the tail end of my career in Australia, I'd pretty much lost all faith and hope in having any success in the music industry. The glass ceiling is very low there and I was pretty much known as being the only lesbian, out lesbian artist of my level at the time because nobody else was admitting it. So it was, um, yeah, it was kind of, it was a a big mess by the time it was time to leave because it was either I leave or I quit music, so I left. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to survive New York if I had moved here while Mm -hmm. still drinking, so I waited until, I didn't wait, but, you know, the way the universe kind of helped me out, it turned out that uh, I got sober in Canada and so then I could finally really realistically look at moving to New York because there are just so many wonderful dive bars here and they just pour whiskey and it just keeps going. So I wouldn't have, uh, I really wouldn't have lasted that long had I moved there then. So... Um, but New York, I mean, <laughs> I ever since I can remember, you know, there was always something. You know, uh, Billy Joel, when we were kids, I remember we used to listen to his records. I could hear something in the air in that studio. I didn't know what it was until years and years later, 2005, when I was walking uh, down past Central Park and the the, um, the skies had opened up in the middle of the summer and, and just belted down all this rain and all the street vendors had turned into umbrella salespeople all of a sudden. I was listening on my headphones to Jeff Buckley, Rufus Wainwright and Jonas Policewoman and then Billy Joel. I realized that that sound that I'd heard in his recordings, that air, was also present in the recordings of Jeff and Joan and uh, and Rufus. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been looking for New York. It's here. So it feels it feels very fated. It feels like I always knew from a really young age, but I didn't know what I knew until now, you know? Yeah, and it took you many years and a lot of experiences, I guess, to figure out that this was the place that you needed to be and to go down that path that was, that was very difficult that led you here. Yeah, and I wouldn't have, there's no way I would have been able to enjoy it and embrace it and really benefit in terms of my spiritual growth had it been any sooner than it happened. So it's it's all worked out. Jess, just talking about being a a woman in music and being a queer woman in music, Mm -hmm. when did you come out in terms of your musical career? What was that like for you? I think, you know, you had said you'd been the only queer woman who was out at the time. Mm -hmm. What does that landscape look like for you now? And how does it feel? I mean, you know, I, I know that certainly the the pronoun thing in terms of songs is obviously a thing for queer artists and and what's that been like for you um it's been a really interesting journey my my career spans for almost 25 years now so i've um i've had a lot of experiences around my queerness and around various um levels of acceptance of queerness in the public sphere in general when i when i did it and i did i did do it i have this wonderful friend who's a a filmmaker and he did my first couple of music videos and i've always given him full creative freedom because he was 
pretty much doing stuff for me for free. Uh, he's since gone a, a, along to work with Amanda Palmer and he did the latest um, AOC promo video about the Green New Deal, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Wonderful, wonderful filmmaker. And, and for this second video, it was for the, um, it was for the Sailor, uh, which was a song that I'd written about a my partner at the mm-hmm. time who I was away from all the time and, and he'd come up with this wonderful concept that involved uh, me actually dressing up as a, a male captain of the ship and we were very explicit about it. He actually had me in bed with a woman and, I'd, I'd you know, I'd said to him, you know, Jim, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You just tell me what it is. And at the time it was, it was really, really scary to me and I remember when we filmed the scene, this was in like 2006, I think, and when we filmed the scene of, you know, they kind of <laughs> – they pan up to this scene of me lying in bed with this woman and, and I get out of the bed and I strap my boobs and then and start to dress up as a man and all this sort of business. And I remember when, when we finished filming that video and I saw the, the final cut of it, I sat on it for about three months. I couldn't put it out. I was so scared. And then I, I ended up doing a like a fourth page spread in um, it was either Lottle or Curve magazine, whichever, you know, queer magazine. So it was a really official coming out kind of situation and uh, – <sighs> It was really wonderful because I had a lot of really positive feedback and I even got, you know, those letters from people saying that I'd really helped them and earnest letters around people's struggles and how much it had, it had kind of opened the doors for them and stuff. So that was really, really rewarding in that sense. But I also had really direct comments from record executives saying, you know, we were going to sign you, sign you, but then we found out that you were gay. Um, and that was like three major labels all had said that to me at the time. <laughs> so that was a bit shit. Um <laughs> that is such a british slash australian <laughs> reaction that was a bit, was shit. A bit shit um <laughs> it was a bit shit i but at the time you know i you got to do what you got to do and as i've said before it's just you know i've got to be my whole self and it just it got to a point where it was just getting absolutely ridiculous because everybody that i knew knew and anyone that is looking for it will figure it out you know at some point so it just it felt ridiculous that i was confronted by this climate that was so fucking behind and just for context australia didn't legalize gay marriage until like three years ago four years ago yeah it was like yesterday and the debate was disgusting you know it was really really harmful for everyone and australia australia for all of its beauty and wonder and all of its wonderful traits has got a lot of things that it really needs to catch up on especially in terms of misogyny and racism and and tolerance just in general it's just it's really 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 sad um and it's a huge reason why i left but then you know, in hindsight, I'm so grateful that I went through that because I still have the energy to create content now because I did that so long ago. Even then, you know, at that moment, of course, I wasn't completely comfortable with who I was. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been so scared to do what I did and I wouldn't have let it hurt me as as much as it hurt me. Um, so it, I had to process a lot and I had to take a lot of stock of, of what was really important to me and, and how I was going to be a musician moving forward. And to be honest, I really hadn't been comfortable with my sexuality um, in the context of my art until, you know, the last couple of years. And that's very much like I've really been looking into and oh, for all intents and purposes, if it hadn't been for the fact that this, the new generations of humans coming up in on the planet now um, have been so amazing at exploring gender and, and sexuality and, and identity just in general. And if I hadn't had access to these wonderful people and these wonderful stories, I don't know if I would have been able to learn how to be comfortable in my own skin as an artist, um, which I certainly am now. And 
And it's, it's just kind of expanding into all these different spaces in myself where now I get to really sit in what feels like an authentic version of my gender and, and my sexuality. It's, it's stopped feeling like an important differentiator. It's just a, it's something that I don't have to be ashamed of anymore. And that in itself is a, a humongous gift. And I feel that I can write more freely than ever now and, 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 and just be a better artist in general. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, exactly. It's wonderful. It's what we should all be able to, to do with our art and just be very authentic about it. Um, <clears throat> sorry, the screen just went blank on me. Um, it must have been wonderful for you to have that feedback when you came out, much as you know it was a bit shit, um, to have been knocked back from those record deals. And I, was that something that kind of propelled you through in terms of you know, I knew. I know that you you say that your authenticity is important to you, and you couldn't have done it any other way. Um, and then coming on to your gender expression now, I think, is, and and you've said that that's sort of changed really within you know within the last couple of years. You've begun to feel more comfortable with that. And what has that difference meant to you in terms of being on stage or being within the music industry as a woman, as a queer woman, as a gender queer woman? Um, how has that perception changed for you? So I realize I asked you like four different questions there. That's, that's great. <laughs> Make me work for it, Stephanie. Make me work for it. Um, how has is, how is my perception of the industry or myself changed? Both. Or, or how has the perception of the industry changed of you? Right, right, right. I think for the most part, I, the way that I feel about it is that the industry and, and popular culture in general has just kind of caught up with what I've always been which is, has sort of slid me into this position now where I feel like, oh, oh, now I get to actually be the thing that I've always wanted to be because now there's space for it. It's not so much that I've found a new way in, it's just that all of a sudden I, I, I get to be where I am and that's enough. I, I celebrate all the time the fact that even, even as simple mm-hmm. as, as figuring out what to wear on stage, like if I go back through all of the photographs of everything that I've worn uh, in the last couple of years yeah. and trying to figure out how to do it on stage, like going from wearing dresses and, you know, I, you know, I, I, I learned how to perform female really well. I got deportment lessons from my friend who was a dance teacher and I got makeup tutorials from my friend who was a newscaster and like all of these things so that I could perform female authentically because I felt like there was something missing, that I was doing something wrong. Yeah. And it wasn't until I really started to explore my masculinity and really push hard into my masculinity as far as I could so that I'd eventually snap back into the middle. And now, you know, the, the clothes that I wear on stage, I'm, I've, I have these beautiful tailored shirts made and, you know, and I, w- I wear pants and boots and everything. And, and I stopped put, make, putting mood boards together where I was looking for women who dressed somewhere near the way that I wanted to dress. I just started flat out just looking for men. The way I wanted to dress when I was a kid, I wanted to be like my dad. Not because I wanted to be a boy, but him he to me always looked like a, a respectable, slick, suave, cool human being. And that's what I wanted to be. And that to me meant, you know, being able to comb your hair just so. And, and you know, he was a pilot, so he was always wearing uniforms and suits and things. And so that was my motivation. And I was so terrified that that expression of my gender meant that everyone would know that I was a lesbian. And if everybody knew that I was a lesbian, everybody would know something was wrong with me. And so it took a a combination of so many things to, for me to get to the place where now I get on stage and I don't feel like anything other than sexy and rock and roll. That's not even about 
figuring out which gender is the best one. That's about figuring out how to authentically walk through the world. And until we have a world in which there aren't any labels necessary in order to express that, you know, we're going to have to call it what we're going to have to call it to help people understand how to get there mm-hmm. too. But, you know, so now in answer to your question, how do I look at it? Well, I feel great. <laughs> so so I, I just go, fuck it, this is rad. I get to get up on stage looking and feeling the way that I want. I feel like a superhero. I feel like the person that I wanted to be when I grew up. I get to be the person that I wanted to be when I grew up. And it took me a while to get here, but it's it's worth it because I got all the way here. Um, it's real now and yeah it's a huge gift and honor thank you for that story that was wonderful my pleasure (laughs) I really love listening to that answer thank you (laughs) (laughs) my pleasure thank you for asking the question Jess um unfortunately we do have to wrap up but uh what is coming up for Jess McAvoy ah well um I'm I'm about to head into a period of hibernation to work on an album I haven't put out a record, a full-length album in, uh, since 2008. So uh, next year I turn 40 and I'm going to put out my first, well, I'm hoping that this will be the first record that I'll be able to actually make my, my self-titled album because I've put out 13 records in my time and none of them felt like the right one to just be called Jess McAvoy. So um, all my work and effort is going towards creating my masterpiece, my 40th gift to myself. <laughs> That's amazing. And if people want to support you, um, I don't know if you have a crowdfunder or if you want them to follow you on Instagram or Spotify, what's, what's the best way to do that? Get on spot, uh, get on Instagram and Spotify, but, uh, Instagram at Jess McAvoy loves you. It's, it's the best kind of way to stay in touch with the community. I'm not sure how I'm going to be going in terms of financial support towards making the record the universe will provide, but I'd, I'd love to have you all as part of my community um, because there's a lot of good people there and and you belong there too. Awesome. Well, Jess, I know that we're we're planning a show later in the year and we can't disclose the date of that just yet, (laughs) but I'm very much looking forward to having you part of the New York Artist Collective and and sharing some of the the new songs that will go on the album. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Jess McAvoy, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you tonight. So uh, I'll speak to you soon. Wonderful. Thank you, Stephanie. Jess McAvoy and her latest single, Do What You Want. Now, you can follow Jess on all of the things. She is at jessmcavoy.com on the interweb thing. Now, for more information on our upcoming shows, you can check out our Instagram. We are at New York Artists Collective and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast to hear all the latest episodes direct to your device. I'm Stephanie Manns. See you next time. New York Artists Collective.